And friends, that's why we're here. Because as Bruce said, in Jesus Christ, life can be made new. That's why we're gathered like this. And and so it seems fitting that uh, on this Easter Resurrection Sunday, we consider the question of how is life made new in Jesus? Just so glad you could be here with us today as we walk through this time of celebrating a day that really is the pinnacle of the church year for us, Uh, the, the fact of Jesus and what he offers to us. And, and just to be clear on this, perhaps you've never really heard the story of, of Easter fully. But, but this is what we're about. This is why we're gathered here. Because we believe that 2,000 years ago, there was a baby, Jewish baby born, and his mother named him Jesus. He grew up in humility and simplicity in a little northern village up in Israel. And through his life, he grew up in almost in a peasant kind of life. It wasn't until the age of 30 he began a public ministry as really something of a traveling rabbi. And he gathered followers around him who claimed that he performed genuine miracles. And then he claimed that he was God in the flesh. In fact, he claimed that the only way that anyone could get into a relationship with God was through him. He claimed that. And we know this, we know that's a claim typically of a lunatic, right? But interestingly, he didn't display any of the characteristics of lunacy. In fact, still to this day, he is upheld by people really of all faiths as a a leader, a person of just noble, admirable character and just profound, insightful teaching for life. Even though he claimed to be the God of creation, And after three years of public ministry, the Jewish leaders around him felt increasingly threatened by him. So they arrested him in the events we remember this past week. And the Jewish leaders, they charged him with blasphemy because he claimed to be God. The Roman leaders kind of half-heartedly charged him with being an insurrectionist because he spoke of being a king of a new kingdom. So they tried him, beat him, and then they hung him on a cross to die as a criminal. And with that, most of his followers abandoned him. They, they fled for their own safety. And the remaining friends buried him in a tomb on a Friday. And that was that. Until Sunday morning, when his followers then, and still today around the globe, claim he actually conquered death and rose from the grave. And then his followers then claim that he appeared not only to them, but literally to hundreds of individuals, even a crowd of 500 at one point, who backed up the claims. Until eventually, he ascended into heaven as his closest friends, his disciples, watched, telling them, and therefore us, to wait, because he would return again to establish this new eternal kingdom. And that's what we celebrate. That's why we gather on Easter. And I realize if that's kind of the first time you've heard all that, that is a lot to take in. I totally realize that. But I also just want to be really clear about this. The center point of this faith that we are seeking to walk in is that this Jesus 
who claimed to be God actually did die and rise again. In fact, one of the writers of scripture, he's called the Apostle Paul, he put it this way. He said, if Jesus did not rise from the grave, our faith is meaningless. It is worth nothing if he isn't risen. So I am really fully aware that we all come together here on this Easter, likely with a range of understandings about this Jesus. I would imagine for some of us here, your evaluation of Jesus might be that you kind of just view him as an uncertain kind of vague religious figure. Maybe others of you view him as, boy, he, he was an admirable, he was a, a moral teacher. And still others of you view him as your Lord and Savior. But what I'd like for us to do today, regardless of what your perspective is on Jesus, I'd like for each of us to be able to leave here today clear on the significance of Jesus' resurrection and what his invitation actually is. Just so we could all leave here clear on that. And then you can discern what you'll do with that invitation, okay? That, that's what I just want to try to do. So let's start here today. I mean, the teaching of Jesus, again, is, is all about lives being made new. And so in the time we have today, I just want to give us just one quick picture of what Jesus was offering. Okay, just one picture for us on this Easter. And again, I know this, there are many pictures of what Jesus offers that come through in Scripture, many wonderful ones. I, I think one of the most profound actually comes out of, oddly, the book of Levit Leviticus, in Leviticus chapter 25, and it's this. It's called Jubilee. That's what it's called. And really, it's a, it's a picture that I'd like every one of us to be able to come back to and reflect on, be reminded of. And I was actually quite surprised to look back and consider how long it's been since we've talked about this. So it's time, Easter 2018, to talk about it again. So let's do this. Can you just turn to the person next to you and say, Easter is all about Jubilee. All right, just turn to the person next to you. Okay, good job. So then we ask, what's Jubilee, right? Now I want you to have a full picture of this and, and give some biblical context for this. So stay with me, work with me, because I think it'll be worth it in this. Okay, just some background. Uh, under the guidance of God, the great Jewish leader Moses told the people of Israel to follow certain patterns in their life because they were a people that were to be set apart for a special purpose for God. So they had certain ways they were to live. And for one, they were to observe the seventh day of the week as a special day. It, this is what we read, the guidance God gave through Moses to Israel. This is Exodus 20 and verse 8. And as we hear this, remember... This is a word of God. And so the guidance was, remember the Sabbath day. Okay, that, that's the seventh day, that's a Saturday. And keep it holy. And, and holy, it just means to be set apart, really for a special purpose, kind of to keep it other. And so the seventh day was to be that for them. Okay, a second guidance. Secondly, they were to observe the seventh year also. And this is in the book of Leviticus. This is Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 3, and it says this. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruit. But in the seventh year 
There shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. So it kind of applied that. If you were a Jewish farmer in that day, you divided up your land and you made sure you had one section every year, every seven years, that that kind of laid fallow. It was a time for it to just rest, to rejuvenate. Now, we know, we, we have that kind of principle in our day, right? It, it, that concept of uh, Sabbath or sabbatical, we have in academia, right? So college professors, around every seven years, uh, they'll give time, time off, kind of, they have to work in it to, to a degree, but it's a sabbatical year. It's a year to the kind of pull back, to renew, to write, to study. All right, so for the people of Israel, there was a seventh day and there was a seventh year. And we're kind of familiar with those things. Okay, but then there was also this, which was a biggie. Look at verse 10 of Leviticus 25. God told Israel, consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a what? A jubilee for you. So Leviticus 25, there's this 50th year. It's the year of jubilee. Sounds like a great year, a fun year, right? Now understand, in the 50th year, this year of jubilee, Leviticus 25 goes on to say there were three profound things that were supposed to happen. Three profound things. First, all debts are to be forgiven. Yeah, we look like the kind of group that would think that is really good news. We like that kind of idea, right? I mean, just apply this. Think of it. In our day, that would mean all debts. That would mean your mortgage. Yeah, that's right. Gets better. Credit cards. Lines of credit. Preach it. <laughs> Car payments. All of them brought to a zero balance. Yeah, would, would that not be good news? It wouldn't be great news for banks. It would be really good news for us. So at Jubilee, all debts were to be forgiven. Okay, second in Jubilee, all prisoners are set free. Yeah, I, I know some of us get nervous at that point. We think, we like this debt idea, get rid of that. Prisoners, though, murders on the street, that doesn't sound so good. But understand that that wouldn't have been really as much a problem back then because when you read the Old Testament, you realize that about the only thing they put people in jail for in those days was debt. Really, for, for everything else, I mean, essentially, they, they killed you, <laughs> Pr pretty much. I mean, just for example, anyone here ever talk back rudely and disrespectfully to your parents during your life, even once? Don't raise your hand, because everyone should raise their hand. Okay, in those days, if you talk back rudely to your parents, you know what would happen? You would be stoned. Not like, dude, where's my car stoned? <laughs> like they would take rocks and throw it at you. I mean, that's what would take place. So at Jubilee, all debts forgiven, prisoners set free, and then third, this. All land was to be returned to original owners. Okay, just meaning all property or land was to be given back to those who originally owned it. And, and the point, understand, the point wasn't undoing business deals between equals, but rather understand in that day, very different than our own, land, a home, was usually lost due to indebtedness or poverty. So Jubilee, 
was the means to regain home. It was a means to come home again. So what did Jubilee mean? It meant three things. Let's say them together. Let's read the three lines. Debts forgiven, prisoners set free, land returned to original owners. Now understand, all of this was just for the people of Israel. That's what the guidance was for. So in that day, who do you think Jubilee would have been the best news for? <laughs> I mean, it was fantastic news for the poor. I mean, for the imprisoned, for the enslaved. I mean, Jubilee was a, kind of a new start for poor people, for those who had felt like they lost out in life's race. I mean, it was a chance for a new beginning, a point of hope, this year of Jubilee. <laughs> and, and here's the wild part of this. Do you know what the people had to do, though, to earn the Jubilee? Nothing. There is nothing the people did to earn Jubilee. Really, right in the middle of all their indebtedness, imprisonment, homelessness, comes this wave of grace. What did I do to earn this? You didn't do a thing. Here's grace. Amazing, huh? I mean, you do, you just kind of try to imagine what that would look like. Just think if we just started in Calgary. Just, good choice, right? Let's just do this in Calgary. What in the world would that look like? And, and don't you wonder, okay, so what happened? When the Jewish people observed this, what in the world did that look like? Tell us, Clive, I mean, what did it look like? Well, even though God clearly commanded that Jubilee be observed every 50 years, as far as we know, not once did the Jewish people observe Jubilee. They observed that weekly Sabbath. They, they knew that. They, they did the every seven-year land Sabbath thing. They did that also. But not this incredible celebration, this festival of renewal and grace. It was commanded, but, but they never did it, not once. And we asked the question, why didn't they do it? Because it was so clearly guided. Well, say you were back then, say you owned slaves. Say you had people indebted to you. Say you'd just gotten a whole bunch of new property and you were kind of a land baron. Would you want this jubilee thing to happen? Uh, no, don't think so. So it never happened, not once. Generation after generation, century after century went by, not a single jubilee. Kind of a bummer, right? But then, God sent a prophet uh, to speak for him. His name was Isaiah. And Isaiah came to the people of Israel and said, I know you haven't celebrated Jubilee, but know this. When the Messiah comes, the Messiah will declare the Jubilee. Now the Messiah, that was the one who the people of Israel believed would be their coming deliverer, really a, a savior, a new kind of king for them, for all of Israel. So Isaiah was saying, you will know, you'll be able to understand who the Messiah is, your deliverer, because the Messiah will come and he will declare the Jubilee. And so as Isaiah wrote in his book that we have here, here's what the Messiah will bring. When he comes for you, this is what the Messiah will declare to the people. This is Isaiah 61.1. The Messiah will say, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty for the captives, those in prison, the opening of prison for those who are bound, 
and to proclaim, can you read this phrase? The year of the Lord's favor. Now understand, we might not get this, but to the people of Israel back then, those were all very loaded phrases. And, and they knew that really that phrase, the year of the Lord's favor, that was another way of saying the year of Jubilee. That, that's what it meant. And what will happen in Jubilee? Debts forgiven, prisoners set free, and you come home again. You're invited home. And he asked the question, so why would God ever suggest such kind of a crazy thing like Jubilee in the first place? We can kind of get one day a week kind of resting. We get that. But can you just imagine just the stunning redistribution of wealth and property that would take place in this kind of year? And, and you ask, and, okay, so why would God do that, ask for it? What, what was the purpose of it? I mean, what was it for? And understand this, primarily, the year of Jubilee was to be a foreshadowing of what the Messiah would offer when he came. One scholar puts it this way. When the Messiah came, those who felt burdened by the debt of their own spiritual fallenness, their own moral failings, would have their indebtedness canceled. Those who were imprisoned by sin, by the mess of their lives, would be set free. And the inheritance from God that had once been theirs would be returned to them. That was Jubilee. Okay, so now, if you're wondering, okay, so how does all this relate to Easter and, and Jesus' invitation? Well, know this. Actually, this Isaiah 61 text that we read, that, that was actually written, proclaimed 700 years before Jesus even was born. So that passage had been around a long time by the time Jesus began to teach. And, and the people of Israel had been waiting a very long time, centuries literally, for the Messiah, waiting for some deliverer from God. So that's the context then when Jesus comes on the scene and starts teaching his message 700 years after Isaiah. Okay, now we get to the good part. Now we turn to the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke chapter 4, we have this incredible scene take place. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus returns to his hometown of Nazareth, a small village really. And he's there and he's teaching in the synagogue. And he, understand, he's just starting his ministry. Literally, what we're reading here is one of Jesus' first days of public ministry. So you wonder, what is his ministry going to look like? Well, the synagogue, which in that time was a place of Jewish teaching and worship in any kind of town or village, the synagogue was just packed. And we could kind of guess, reading between the lines, it was probably packed because Mary went to all her neighbors and friends and said, you have to come to synagogue and hear my son, right? Because that's what mothers do. All mothers say, amen. That, you bet that's what we do. Yeah, it is. So the place is just jammed full. And Jesus stands up. He asks for the scripture, as a guest rabbi would do. And so he's given the scroll of scripture he's asked for. He opens the scroll to where? Isaiah, how did you know? Isaiah 61. So just picture the setting. Isaiah 61, understand every Jew there knew this scripture. And they knew that whoever declares the Jubilee is simultaneously declaring himself to be the Messiah, this great deliverer and king sent from God. 
So you just try to imagine the drama as Jesus reads. This is how Luke describes it. This is Luke chapter four and, and verse 17. He sets the scene. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So kind of try to imagine. Okay, people probably in the room listening to this were probably thinking, oh, we love that passage. Oh, won't it be wonderful when our Messiah finally comes? And then verse 20, we read this. And Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. I mean, they were all looking at Jesus. I mean, again, this is a guy, a kid they'd known since grade school. They'd seen him grow up, he was a hometown boy, and they're like, oh, how tall he's grown, isn't that good? And then Jesus says this, verse 21. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So try, try to imagine the shock of that. If you can picture water spewing out of people's mouths, dentures falling out, that, that kind of idea. Because they knew what Jesus had just done. He, he just declared the Jubilee. And only the Messiah is supposed to do that. I mean, Jesus was saying here, in case you don't get it, folks, this is me. I'm it. I'm the one. And they are stunned at his words. And partly thinking, I mean, the gall of what he's saying here. And then Jesus continues talking and rocking their world. Because he goes on to say, and one other thing you should know, this jubilee is not just for us here in Nazareth, not even just for Israel. Jubilee is for everyone. It's for Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free. It doesn't matter your race, your gender, your religion, or your past. Jubilee is for everyone. And now that disbelief of the crowd turns to fury, really. What, what, everyone, what are you talking about? This is just for Israel, this is us. I mean, who does he think it is? This is Joseph Kidd, he's not even that great a carpenter. Did you see that picnic table he made? It wasn't even that good. <laughs> and, and Luke tells us, picture it, they rise up, they grab Jesus, they drag him out of the synagogue to a cliff at the edge of town. So Jesus' old friends and neighbors are going to throw Jesus off the cliff. And Jesus turns to the crowd and faces a mob that wants to destroy him. <laughs> there was a hymn we sang growing up that had the line, he could have called 10,000 angels. And friends, he could have. I mean, this was God in the flesh. He could have done that to defend himself. You or I would have done that, right? Angels, now is a good time. But Jesus doesn't. Instead, it says he faced down the mob, and Luke says he walked straight through them. No one lays a hand on him. He, he just walks away. It's a great scene, isn't it? And here's the point, friends. This is Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment, the deliverer of Jubilee. Okay, what's Jubilee again? Debts forgiven, 
prisoners set free, land returned to its owners, it's, it's coming home again. Jubilee, it's, it's when the oppressed are delivered from their oppression. I mean, is that good news? Isn't that something really, in some way, each one of us here could relate to? I mean, maybe we're here, maybe we're not poor, or maybe we're not sick, but I would imagine all over this place, each of us in some way could recognize that sense of, of, of feeling burdened or oppressed in some way. I mean, how many of us today would admit to say, boy, I have a heaviness in my heart, and, and maybe it's a heaviness from your own brokenness. And understand this, there, there's a heaviness of heart that's spiritual in nature. And Jesus can touch you and lift the heaviness. He can take away the deadness of our souls. And he offers to bring forgiveness and healing from our bondage, our brokenness in life. I mean, Jesus' central invitation is, I, I want to do this for you. And, and here's what he said. But you need to connect with me. You need to surrender to me. You need to yield to me. Because the invitation of Jesus Christ is this. Jubilee is available today through faith in me. That's what Jesus says. So we ask again, okay, so how does this relate to this holy week we walk through, to Easter? Well, let's understand it in these terms. Friends, because of Good Friday, because of Jesus' death on the cross and taking on himself our sinfulness, because of Good Friday, our moral indebtedness to God can be erased, can be forgiven. And because of Easter and, and the empty tomb, because Jesus conquered death and rose again, now we too can be set free from the imprisonment of the bondage and weight we carry in life. And we can be set free from the hopelessness of not spending eternity with God. And understand as well, because of Christ's victory at Easter, it means then we can receive back what we'd lost because of our sin. We can receive that relationship with God, our, our standing as ones beloved by God. We can receive an inheritance actually as children of God. We can come home to him. That's Jubilee. And no, this, this wasn't just the teaching of Jesus. The Apostle Paul, maybe in case he thought we misheard Jesus, put it this way in summarizing Jesus' invitation. This is in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned, Paul writes, and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us does. And we're justified, how? Freely by his grace as a gift. And it's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Not because of some religious performance or good works or church attendance, not because of anything to earn it. It is just a wave of undeserved grace from Jesus. I just so want you to know on this Easter, this isn't just about some ancient cross and empty tomb 2,000 years ago. Jesus wants to do something in you, here and now. He offers it to you. And he offers this kind of cleansing. Any of us longing for cleansing in life? <laughs> from darkness, brokenness, Jesus can cleanse you from it all. Where we used to be in bondage, he can help give us strength and hope and, and peace. That is just what Bruce was saying 
in his testimony we heard. I don't know if you know the name of Dale Bruner. He's a, a brilliant New Testament scholar. And he writes about one Easter, trying to tell the Easter story to children for the children's sermon at the church. And so he had the children gathered around him and he asked this group of children the question, okay, does anyone know what Jesus' first words to his disciples were after he was raised from the dead on the Easter? And, and a little girl waved her hand, I know, I know. So she stood up and said, Jesus' first words were, ta-da! <laughs> That's pretty much it. No one had expected it. The enemy, shocked. <laughs> because Easter Sunday changed everything. And this Jesus, this same Jesus still changes lives. People still encounter him. Every century, every continent, every culture, again, rich, poor, young, old, well-educated, illiterate, I'm beaten, broken, arrogant, afraid. I mean, those who are addicted saying, in, in Jesus I've, I've found power. And people who are alone saying, through him I've, I've found a friend. And people who are hopeless saying, he's given me hope. I mean, those who are bitter, being able to say, because of Jesus, I've been able to forgive. And I know this, that's true of scores of people in this room. It's true of Bruce, it's true of me. It's early. Now, how about you? The invitation of Jesus is good news. And it looks like Jubilee, where our debts are forgiven. We're set free from our imprisonment in life. And we're invited to come home as a gift of grace. And the risen Jesus, he offers it all. And he offers it to you. So you can choose today to follow him. So just before our worship team comes and leads us in a closing song of praise, I, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to this Easter, every one of us. So could we do this? Will you bow your heads with me? And just wanna give you an opportunity, just in silent prayer, to express what's on your heart to God. And let me prompt you in this. And I know we, we can have various responses. And perhaps you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and you just all this prompts you to say again, oh, thank you, Father. Uh, please lead me. Or perhaps you're just beginning to consider Jesus and maybe your prayer would just be, okay, God, if you truly are there, then show me, reveal yourself to me. And I just, I'd love to invite you to join us here on that journey of discovery as well. Or perhaps today, you, you wanna cross over to follow Jesus. And you might think, I, I don't even yet fully know what it means. But for one, I'll tell you this, you'll be able to say, just like we heard from Bruce, I have new life because on Easter 2018, I turned to Jesus. So you can pray to God right now, just in a silent prayer. Jesus, I believe. And I wanna follow you. I ask for your forgiveness. 
and I trust in the gift of your death and resurrection. Please breathe your life into me through your Holy Spirit. And again, let me say, if you want to know even more of what Jesus offers, I so hope you can join with us here as we learn and discover that ourselves. So Father, we come on this day of resurrection thanking you for your grace to us, <laughs> the wonder of it. And we together declare, oh, you are worthy of all our praise. And all God's people say, Amen.